Hold up, Vicki. I don't think there's anything I can do here tonight that's going to live up to all that. <laughs> but we're going to try, because you guys are going to help me. Um, the name of my talk tonight is Embracing Peace When Life Isn't Perfect. And another way to say that is how to experience the ups and downs of life, both large and small, without losing your mind. Okay? And as far as, as my introduction from Vicki, I'll tell you a little bit more about myself. Uh, my husband and I have a blended family. We have six grown children, eight grandchildren, two dogs, six chickens, and a groundhog who's trying to burrow under our house and live with us also. So my days are pretty full with all that. Um, why I'm speaking on this topic, I am not an expert on this other than I'm an expert on the not being able to embrace peace part. That's, that's my area of expertise. But God has shown me some things. I am an introvert from birth. Um, I'm an overthinker, as a lot of my friends know very well. Um, and that's kind of where this came from. As we were, as Vicki and, um, and I were meeting and talking about what's, what the theme should be for the uh, night tonight, um, the word enough kept coming to me. The idea of, of life being not enough, of that feeling of I'm not enough, life's not enough, I want better, I want more, I'm not happy with what I have in life, you know, kept coming up to me. And, and, that's, uh, I actually pulled out some old journals of mine. Have you ever looked at your old journals? Like from way back? I, used to, I don't journal so much anymore, but there was a period of about five years where I just wrote down every single thing that ever happened to me. And um, I looked at them. I was cleaning out a closet and I found a bunch of them. And I looked at them and I was like, who was this girl? Everything was about bad relationships with people and who I didn't like and who didn't like me. And I was very much a perfectionist. And do you guys know like perfectionists are the most imperfect people there are? Did you know that? I mean, they are the most flawed people because they can't do anything without it being perfect. A lot of hoarders are perfectionists because if they can't clean the whole house and do it perfectly, they just don't do anything at all. I'm not a hoarder. I'm a kind of a mental hoarder though, or have been. But you know, I was always walking around, and I'm talking about since childhood, with just this low-grade feeling of nothing's right, nothing's enough, I'm not okay, you're not okay, nothing's okay, um, life, other people, me, I just was not satisfied with anything. And just from knowing human beings, and especially from being in ministry, I get the feeling I might not be alone in that. I think that all of us, to some degree, uh, you know, maybe it's not debilitating, maybe it's just mildly irritating, but we all have those times when we're restless. We have a restless heart. I think that's what it says on your outline. After I uh, wrote that and before I came here tonight, I started thinking I probably should have called it a restless soul because really the heart just kind of implies the emotions, but we have restless souls. Um, that's everything about us. That's our, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our personalities uh, tend to be, we human beings tend to be bent that way. My favorite philosopher um, said something or wrote a song that I think really says it well. Could we get the first slide up? St. Bruce of Springsteen. 
Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody needs a place to rest. Everybody wants to have a home. Don't make no difference what nobody says. Ain't nobody like to be alone. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Okay, let's sing along now. If, if you have that song in your head for the rest of the week, you're welcome. I've had it in my head for three weeks now, but we've got that restless soul, that hungry heart. Uh, but St. Augustine, Bruce doesn't offer any real answers to that hungry heart. He just sings about it. But St. Augustine uh, said something that I think is way more profound and... We can have that up there. He's praying to God and he says, you have made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. So we have that restless heart. Stress, anxiety, depression, broken relationships are absolutely nothing new. They're the continuation of struggles that were born in the Garden of Eden. This is what Augustine was talking about when he said our souls are restless and it came into being when Eve met up with a certain serpent. So it's our legacy from Adam and Eve. So if we could have the next chart in Genesis 3, the encounter that Eve had with this serpent. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you'll die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She, ate, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it, and we know where things went from there, downhill. The serpent's foot in the door with Eve was to plant the idea that God is holding out on you, that there's better, there's different, there's something better, and God's not letting you have it. You have to get it for yourself. So it's just a little conversation, a little afternoon snack in the garden, But everything changed after that. Something new was introduced into the relationship between man and God. Expectations. Expectations replaced trust in the relationship between man and God, and love became conditional. So our perspective changed. The next slide. Perspective changed from a place of abundance to a place of lack. And what that means is that we begin looking through a filter that devalues what we have and focuses on what we don't have. And thus was born the restless soul. And like I said, all of us carry this restless heart because of the fall to greater or lesser degrees, depending on your experiences, your upbringing, your genetics, and who knows what else. Slightly problematic to totally debilitating, but we all are touched by the fall and have that restless heart. And we can experience cycles of expectation and disappointment with our life, with ourselves, with others, and even with God. And we carry burdens because of it. We carry fears, fears about our health. That's a big one as you start to get older. Some of you young ladies may not experience that so much anymore, but you start to see your peers getting sick or even passing away, and you lose family members, 
and fears about your own health can creep in. Uh, finances, our children, and what's gonna become of them in this world, and the world itself can be a pretty scary place. So we carry fears, we carry anger. Sometimes we're unable to overlook offenses that have happened in our lives, we can't forgive, um, and we just mull them over and over and over again. There's uh, self-hatred in the form of just extreme guilt and feeling worthless and unforgivable and uh, even what I guess I would call a a victim mentality. Um, And maybe you know somebody like this. I've been like this personally myself in the past um, where every bad thing that happens is a catastrophe of immense proportions and I'll never recover from it. You know, that we, there's no resilience at all. Every disappointment is just the end of everything. So that, some of us carry those, those uh, burdens throughout life. Um, Jesus, Jesus is the cure for a restless heart. And this is an experience that many of us here can attest to. We spend our lives searching for peace and rest All the solutions we try are just temporary fixes and we reach the end of ourselves. Maybe we even reach the breaking point and we meet Jesus. And he takes our hand and he looks into our eyes and he says, you don't have to live this way anymore. And there's a supernatural change that occurs at the moment of salvation. However you came to know Jesus, maybe yours wasn't as dramatic as that, but however you come to know Jesus, when you accept him into your heart, there's a supernatural exchange that takes place. We give Jesus all those burdens. He gives us, in exchange, a clean slate and a new heart and a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of us forever. My favorite scripture is Ezekiel 36, 26, and this is God's promise to us. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of flesh, or your heart of stone, I'm sorry, and give you a heart of flesh. And that's his promise to us, and so we receive that when we take Jesus into our lives. And so... That's the end of the story, right? We go off and live happily ever after. We don't ever have another sinful thought or worry about anything or get angry, right? Is that, that's been everybody's, because that was my experience. No, okay, I didn't think so. Um, no, sooner or later, maybe it's a week, maybe it's three months or whatever, um, the old person starts to show her face again. And, um, you know, we, Sin, or we just, you know, the old thought patterns come up and we begin to doubt and we begin to, uh, you know, have a, a lack of faith, uh, or at least what we see as a lack of faith. Um, the, the old person comes up, and when that happens, we have kind of a battle going on. If you could show the next slide, this, the next slide is, whoops, we might be out of order here. There, that, that's a picture of my brain when I'm going through stuff like that, when I'm wrestling with God. Um, the Holy Spirit versus our own thought patterns. Grudge match right there. There's a battle going on. Once we have Jesus, we can't go back to being the way we were, but some parts of us won't go down without a fight. And for Christians, sometimes it's even worse because not only do we have 
the old patterns we're dealing with, but then we have guilt on top of that, you know, because I shouldn't feel, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't feel this way, I shouldn't think this way. Not helpful. That is not helpful. We have to be honest with God and with ourselves. So please know that I'm not talking about or proposing that we do away with all of our difficult thoughts and emotions in the name of peace. We are not aiming to become robots. God doesn't want robots. And some of this wrestling is actually a good thing because our thought life is how we reason things out, how we learn and how we mature. And our emotions are kind of a gift from God. They're like little signal flags that tell us what's going on inside of us. Now the pleasurable emotions like love, we will gladly accept and as a gift, but even the unpleasant emotions that we have are for our good. When we have emotional distress, that tells us that there's something that needs attention and healing, something that needs to be brought to God. The problem comes when these things push Jesus out of the driver's seat and take over our direction, when our thoughts and emotions take over, especially our emotions, I think. What then happens is a lot of pointless mental wheel spinning, wheel spinning, I'm sorry. We begin to engage with the lies just like Eve did in the garden. The heart is deceitful above all things. That's what we hear in Jeremiah. We can lie to ourselves. Our heart can lie. And I want to just, a word for those who are wrestling with really big things, and I mean like trauma, abuse, loss, serious illness, this message is for you too. And you may think, well, you know, you don't know what it is that I'm carrying around and, and I know that this message is for you too, and no matter what you're dealing with, a change in perspective is achievable. I know this because I know people right here in this audience and in this church who have been through suffering some of the most unimaginable things and today have some of the most intimate and loving, trusting relationships with the Lord that I've ever seen. The church has resources to help with the big things. We have a group that will pray for you. what's it called, Big Hurts Soaking Prayer, is that right? Um, We have peer counselors, we have professional counselors, but everything I'm saying applies to you too, even if it was a big loss. So here are some of the lies that we believe, and these come from the enemy, they come from our own hearts, and also just from the culture we live in. We, We live in a culture just like fish swim in water, They don't know that the water is there. That's just where they live. Well, we live in a culture and it has influences and we don't always see those. So the first one is the lie is what I have is not enough. And what I have is not enough uh, means that we focus on what we lack and we devalue what we've been given. Things, possessions, money, status, relationships, we can inordinately desire them or fear not having them, okay? It's a failure to recognize God's provision. Our culture contributes a lot to this. The the advertising business is geared toward creating needs in us that we didn't know we had. When my husband and I go to the Ohio State Fair every year and I always wanna go to the big building where they sell things, you know, I call it, that's, that's the hall of things I never knew that I couldn't live without until I walked in here. And they got me again this year. 
Okay, that's, that's the influence of the culture. You need this, you need more. The reality is that we need surprisingly little to sustain life and be happy, surprisingly little. The next lie is that who I am is not enough. We failure to recognize ourselves as God's creation. Who I am is not enough. God made all of us and God looked at his creation and called it good. But we're calling it bad when we say I'm not enough. Okay, we focus on our failures. We focus on deficiencies and differences, devaluing the truth that we are created in God's image instead to focus on where we fall short and comparison. You know, that's one of the, the biggest uh, uh, problems that this brings up, comparing ourselves to others. T Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. And that's on a sign in the gym I go to, and I can't think of any better place to see that on the wall than a gym. Uh, body image for women is a big thing, and the media is so helpful with that in letting you know about all the things that you need you know, to change about yourself and how you can go about doing that. And um, so it's funny though, women and men are very different. I think it's a bigger one for women than it is for men. I don't know if you, you'd agree, but... Um, like, as a woman, you know, if I stand and look in the mirror at myself after I get out of the shower or something, I'm going to notice every little bit of cellulite, every little wrinkle around the eye. I don't like my hair. My arms are flabby. You know, we'll go through the catalog of what's wrong with us. A man gets out of the shower and looks in the mirror, and he sees himself at 18 years old. <laughs> Am I right? So that's a particular way the enemy likes to get us and the culture likes to get us. We can be focused on our abilities or our lack of abilities and that can leave us feeling driven to be all things to all people. Okay, the third lie, Christ is not enough. Failure to recognize the cross. When we focus on our sin and our guilt, past and present, regrets, feeling unforgivable, feeling worthless, we devalue the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We forget, we don't recognize what the scripture says in Hebrews 10.10, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, all. Okay, this can cause us to withdraw from God, withdraw from community, which is so crazy because when do you need other people more than when you're feeling that kind of shame and that kind of sorrow over your sin. We need each other. We need each other to pray for us. We need each other to give wise counsel and just for love and comfort. And that's the, you know, when we're feeling that way, that's the time that we pull back. Not helpful, makes no sense. So what's the common denominator? Oh, wait a minute, I'm not done with that. It also includes, this was something I added today, also includes excessive fears and worry about the world around us and what's going on. And no matter what side you're on in any current issues on both sides, it can be scary. There is so much hatred, so much animosity, so much um, just bitter sarcasm out there. And more and more I talk to people and, and I myself have felt genuinely afraid for the way the world's going. And we're right to be concerned, 
But as Christ followers, there is no reason that fear should overtake us. There is no reason that fear should overtake us. His plan for this world is unfolding exactly the way it's supposed to. Nothing is a surprise to him. We've read the book, we know the end of the story. When we get obsessed with the things that are scary in the world, it draws our attention off God and it devalues the cross. Jesus already died for all this stuff, okay? So what's the common denominator between these three lives? The focus is on what? When I'm believing these things, what am I focusing on? Me. The focus is on me. And the next slide, I love this picture. This is a picture of the self-absorbed person. I wish it said her instead of him, but you know, there I am in the middle and everybody else is thinking about me and they're either smiling or they're not smiling, but I'm in the middle of it all and somebody says, move over, I can't see her. And a lot of times when we're trapped in our own wheel spinning thoughts, that's kind of how we feel. We're the center of the universe. And um, I, I wish Penny was here because I was going to tell this story. Penny set me straight on something once back in when we worked at Cooper Road together. And I was having what the technical term would probably be a hissy fit <laughs> over something that ha there was a position in ministry that I felt I should have gotten and I didn't and I was embarrassed and, you know, what are people going to think? And she said, Ann, you know, most people are not thinking about you. <laughs> Most people are not thinking about me, and that is actually a wonderful thing. But when you're tangled up in your own thoughts, this is how you can feel. That's called self-absorption, and you know all these lies kind of lead us to focus on us and what we don't have, not how big God is or what God's given us, but who we aren't and what we don't have and what might happen to us. Um, so how do you move from being a saved person with a restless soul to a saved person who can embrace peace in difficult times? And the secret, I believe, is in the quality of the relationship that we have with Jesus, okay? Not the amount of time we spend with him, not how much we know, um, not how many different activities we're involved in, but the quality of our relationship with him. Um, how many of you have here have heard of the gospel of wholeness? We got a lot. Okay, that's a, it's a program for, what would I say? Emotional healing. It's an emotional healing program that some of our peer counselors use. Um, Danny Meyer came up with it, and, um, or it was given to him by God, I believe. Um, one of the principles in the gospel of wholeness focus, focuses on Colossians 2, verse 6, where it says, so then... Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. So how did we receive Jesus as Lord? Remember I talked about it's a supernatural exchange. Well, that's not the only supernatural exchange that can occur in our lives. We can have a supernatural exchange every single day with Jesus. Every single day, we can give him our junk, we can give him the stuff that we worried about, we can give him the hurt feelings, and we can give him our fears. And every single day, we can have that supernatural exchange anew, and we're supposed to. It's not like 
this wonderful thing happens when you get saved and then the rest of it is just gritted teeth trudging along waiting for heaven, okay? It's, it, you can have that every single day of your life if you have that kind of relationship. You know, I, I have this ring on my finger that says I'm married to Myron Kramer and you know, we have our house and we have the papers that say we're married and we have our little you know, chores that we do. We each have our roles in the household, but if that's all we have, you know, if there's not intimacy, and, and by intimacy I really mean if we don't know each other and encourage each other and take interest in each other and hear each other's pain and hear each other's happiness, if we don't have any of that, are we really married? Just barely, I think, and that we don't want that kind of relationship with God either. Okay, Psalm 27 is what I want to go to now, and this, was, this has been kind of something I've been meditating on about half the summer. And we're only going to actually do the first six verses of Psalm 27. It's a wonderful psalm. Read the whole thing, but I'm just going to focus on the first six verses. And this is written by David, and he says, The Lord is my light. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In verse one, that word light um, is used in other scriptures. Uh, It has a lot of different meanings, but the meaning that um, is probably used here is a source of life, a source of life and well-being. And he's my salvation. He rescues me. The Lord is the stronghold, and in some versions that word is fortress. He protects me. The Lord is the stronghold of my life, and of whom shall I be afraid? David is speaking from that perspective of abundance. He's acknowledging everything he has in God. So from the perspective of abundance, the answer to David's question is no one. He does not need to fear. And when we are nestled in that place of truly knowing who God is and who we are in him, we don't have to fear anything either. Or second guess, or criticize, or try to control. We can turn from restlessness to rest. Verse two and three. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Now David wrote this when he was being chased by human enemies who wanted to slander him and tell lies about him. That's what that word devour means in this context. But David also knew what it was like to be a shepherd and be chased by lions and bears while he was defending his flock. So we may not have people or lions chasing after us, but we do have an enemy who wants to slander and lie about us and lie to us. He wants to slander God and lie to us. First Peter 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Sometimes our enemy is the enemy. Sometimes our enemy is our own entrenched thought patterns. Sometimes it's the influence of the world we live in. But notice in there that nowhere does David say that this is what I'm going to do to defeat those enemies. He doesn't say that. He says they will stumble and fall. So it sounds like that battle is God's and not ours, right? Our job is to trust and obey 
Though an army besiege me, though war break out, we all face significant trials at some point. Loss of a loved one, a scary medical diagnosis at a routine checkup, financial losses, you name it. The world is a scary place. And unfortunately, some of the things we worry about, I don't want to be a downer, but some of the things we worry about actually will happen. Um, Trouble will come. Jesus told us that. He said, you will have trouble in this world. We will feel distress because we're human. But when we can rest in the Lord, we can feel confident that the losses will not destroy us, that they will be redeemed in the end and we'll know God's purposes. And David said in verse four and five, one thing, one thing I ask from the Lord and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. One thing, one thing, that's very important. The most important thing to David and the only thing that he seeks is to live his life in the presence of God always. David knew, or God knew when he inspired him to write, that out of this one thing would flow every other thing that David needed. And this is just very much true for us. This is, he's our example. Um, uh, Vicki mentioned that I had been on a mission trip to China this year, and we were actually, it was the first mission trip I'd ever been on. We were smuggling Bibles into China where it's not legal for uh, people in the home churches to have Bibles, only people in the state-sponsored church. Um, We didn't fully realize until we got there that what we were doing was breaking the laws in the country and that we could be arrested, so that added a little danger to the mix. Uh, But the experience of being there and doing this thing and being in such an unfamiliar environment I mean, there are some cities that are like our cities and you know, you can kind of make your way, but we were out in some of the rural areas and seeing things I'd never seen before, eating things I'd never seen before, um, you know, working with people whose names I could not know because then somebody else would be able to you know, get information from me if I was detained. I mean, those were all uh, pretty difficult things and in that, you know, I thought that when I came back, or actually I didn't know that I was going to do this when I came, but when Vicki asked me, I thought I was going to do something about going and doing and, and all that. But what really sustained me through that time, I'm not a person who likes change. And I'm not a person who likes unfamiliar things. I don't seek them out. But that one thing, the one thing of being able to be in God's presence wherever I was, whenever I needed him, became so huge to me. It just took on a whole new dimension. And sometimes, you know, if you get out of your comfort zone, you really can, you're, you're grasping on to God with everything you have just to get through a day and not be discouraged and not be scared and want to go home or start complaining or, you know, whatever. So um, the one thing, the one thing that if we have it, out of that flows everything else that we need that we, we never need to lack. We have everything else that we need if it starts with that one thing. And we might call it being rooted and grounded in Christ. I've heard it called that. 
It's a true, intimate relationship with the triune God. Our one thing is the source from which all the other things we need freely flow. It's what Jesus meant when he said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then when we do that, all the other things will come. It's what Jesus meant when he told Martha to stop worrying about the housework and that Mary, who had chosen to sit at his feet and listen to his teachings, had chosen the better part. He wasn't shaming Martha for doing housework, but he was, he was showing that what Mary had chosen was the one thing, and we need a one thing. If you, if you have six or seven things, which is at times in my life is how I've been, I have six or seven things that are very important to me, and one might be Jesus, and one might be the church, and you know my family, and if they're all of equal importance, if they're all kind of floating up there at the top, nothing gets done right, nothing. All of our efforts are in vain. They need to flow from our relationship with the Lord. Okay, in verse five, he says, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe. So if we can learn to rest in the presence of God during our peaceful times, during the times when it's not so stressful and nothing bad's happening, if we can dig in and learn to rest, then when the bad times come, and it is a when, it's not an if, it's a when. When the bad times come, we can find that shelter so much more easily. We know where it is. Verse six, then my head, this is after, after I get victory over my enemies, get through my trials, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. And David is expressing here the joy that comes from the victory only the Lord can accomplish. This should be our joy as well. God is for us, he is in our corner, he's got our back, and he wants our freedom and our victory probably a lot more than we do. All we need to do is to draw close. So, I told you the three lies. Now we'll talk about the three truths that we can use to combat that lie. You know, and, and all of these, I have scripture references for all of them. You know, I used to have this aversion to uh, memorizing scripture. I, I would say, oh, I can't do that. That's a waste of time, that's, that's silly, you know. I need, almost as though it was beneath me or something, I hate to say it, but that was probably my cocky attitude about it. I'm not gonna memorize scripture. You know, that's for people that don't, you know. They need to, somebody to think for them. Um, but anyway, it was, that was ridiculous because that is the best thing that you could ever, ever do. It, then Much better than trying to be creative in our responses when we're under attack. I mean, seriously, you know, that has never worked for me. But what does work, I mean, seriously, who could say any of this stuff better than God himself? Why would we wanna rewrite that? or re-speak it. So memorizing scripture has been so important to me in, in dealing with a lot of this kind of overthinking stuff that I go through. We don't have to be creative in our responses. Answer with God's word, memorize it, hold it in your heart, do whatever you need to do. Little index cards, little post-it notes on your bathroom mirror. Um, those are all weapons in your arsenal when you're struggling and they are the truth. So the first one, 
the truth we can stand on in him, I have everything I need. God's provision is enough. God's provision is enough for me. I have everything I need. Second Peter 13, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The second truth is, in him, I am a new creation. So I am enough because he is enough and he made me. He makes, he makes me enough. I don't make myself enough. He makes me enough. And we are a new creation. Sometimes we don't feel like a new creation. Sometimes the old me, you know, says, hey, I'm still here. Um, but we are a new creation. We're kind of in our own little personal already and not yet of the kingdom. Jesus has already come. The Holy Spirit is already in there. We're now working out the details, but we know that we are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, yay. In him, I am forgiven and I'm free. I am made clean by the cross. Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And I'm free. Galatians 5, 1. This is another one of my favorites. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He set us free because he wants us to be free. He wants us to be free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's the thought that I want to end on tonight is that we are free. This is a fact. This is a fact for a follower of Christ and it doesn't matter whether we think we're free or whether we feel free, he has set us free and we have no business trying to put that yoke of slavery back on our thoughts and our feelings, okay? Some of us, and I have been one many, many times in life, and I hope maybe I'm done with that, but you know, God's always there to help me if I do, but many of us are like prisoners who've been set free, but we're still sitting in the corner of our cell because we have so many things to worry about and so many things that might happen to us out there in that freedom. Uh, so many things that we haven't yet worked out in our minds, we can't possibly walk through that door until we've got it all together. And he's standing there at the door waiting, like, what? Come, come. But we're still sitting there in our place of lack, our perspective of lack. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. So find your one thing. You know, I, that's, I guess a, that would be what I'd like to call you to tonight is find, find that one thing. If you haven't found it already and if you have it, hold on to it with both hands. That's what's important. Everything else, everything else you need, everything else that you want to happen, everything else that you want to know about and haven't figured out yet, it'll all come, but it needs to come through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. So if you'd like to stand...
<laughs> Don't make me yell. <laughs> this is going to be hard. Awesome, you're up here. Stay up here because I want you to okay. stay up here. Um, we're going to transition to just some ministry time. We're going to create an opportunity where we're going to wait for the Lord, um, for the Holy Spirit to move. He's here. We're going to just put our attention on him and, and see if he wants to speak anything out tonight. And then we're going to just give you an opportunity to respond to that. Um, and that's just by receiving prayer. So I just wanted to explain that if you're visiting. It's, it's nothing strange. We all, we all need time to just come before the Lord and respond to whatever he's, he's done in our hearts tonight, any messages you've received um, so we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit, and we're just going to do that by just quieting ourselves. Close your eyes if you're comfortable. If you're comfortable, open up your hands and just mm-hmm. it's saying, I need you, Lord. I'm just I'm open to what you want to speak tonight. So let's just take a few minutes and, and be quiet and just invite him. So we say, Holy Spirit, come. And Lord, we say that collectively. That's not just me. I know there are hearts that are crying out to you tonight. So we just come as we calm ourselves. We quiet ourselves before you. We just want to make room for you. So just come. Sometimes this isn't real comfortable, so I just encourage you, just kind of take a deep breath. Take a deep breath in and just exhale. and Just kind of settle yourselves. And just put your thoughts on Him. Just breathe Him in. just see some of you really engaged with the Holy Spirit. Just receive that. Receive that. I can see that just some of you are really in need of the Holy Spirit. And it's just so obvious in your posture and your faces and God's just showing up and just resting on you. So we just say more, more of your presence, Lord. More of your presence. Okay, so I'm going to invite, if you, if you have a word, you think you're getting a picture or a word from the Lord, I'm going to invite you to come up. We're just going to one by one. Um, so if anyone's got anything, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Uh, when you were talking about um, Galatians, 
God setting us free, not being yoked uh, to a yoke of slavery. What I got a uh, picture of was a stream or a river coming down over some rocks and a waterfall. And the water turned to like a, a lead type of, it just froze. It wasn't, it was like an oily river. It was smooth, it was, but you couldn't, it was not freeing. You could, it was not a living water. It was a dead water. And so the word is not being, um, you know, letting the, the love of Christ come through. So, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Vicki, I also, as I was preparing this, I felt like that um, there were women going to be here tonight who suffer from depression, anxiety and depression type disorders, and that um, the Lord would like us to pray for you. So if that's you and if you're bold enough, that's me. That's me. And if that's you too, I'd like to pray. We can pray for each other. That's good. You can come up. And just, we're going to have a couple more here, and then we're going to invite you forward. So just kind of sit on those for a few minutes. Um, after uh, she said, find the one thing, um, my brain kind of does that overthinking thing too and trying to figure it out. And I think that other people here who may struggle with this may be helped by this thought. Um, God immediately uh, told me, be simple. Get simple with it. Don't try to overthink it. Just be simple. Um, he says his, his yoke is easy. Um, and he said to just breathe in, deeply breathe out, and take in his peace. And let his peace settle on your heart as you just simply <clears throat> allow him to find the one thing. That's good. Okay. We got, I think we've got two more here. Um, I had a, just a word come to mind, and it means protector. Um, and I, you, in reading Psalm, the Psalms passage, um, that word just really stood out. And even the picture at the end of like being in a cell and being at the corner you know, of the back of the cell and not wanting to come out, and felt like the Lord said, like, we, there's some women here that need to be reminded I'm their protector. And... Uh, for some of you, like you've never really experienced that before, like you've never really felt like you've had a protector in your life, you've kind of had mm. to self-protect. And I think the Lord's just putting his finger on that and saying, can I do some healing tonight? Can you, can you make some exchanges? Because I want to show you how much I am there for you and how trustworthy and good I am. Um, yeah. Okay, I think we got one more. I just had a picture of a little goldfish in one of those tiny fish bowls, a little hook lowering down, and the fish was looking around like, is this it? And um, I got this uh, kind of reminder of a Sunday school song about fishers of men, I don't know. Um, but I just got the sense that there might be someone here today that maybe you went to Sunday school as a child and you have this perspective of the Christian life, of being this little goldfish in a fishbowl. But that's not what God desires for you. He desires freedom, and that's who he is. And in Christ, there is freedom. Okay, so I've got one really simple one, and it just was highlighted to me as um, Anne was speaking. Um, 
Someone here tonight needs to hear this. <laughs> I felt very powerfully that you need to hear. There's a relational issue, a struggle in your life, and whoever that is with, you need to hear they are not your enemy. That the Lord is highlighting there is a real enemy that is lurking amongst us in this world. Um, and it is not that person. So that's not for everyone. I just feel like you're going to know who you are. So um, that's, I think, the last one I got. So what we're going to do is um, invite any of you who want to respond to any of those words. Um, we also love to pray for healing, physical healing. So whatever that looks like for you, we invite you to come forward. Um, Sarah's going to lead us in a worship song. And um, as, we, as you, we start that, come forward to receive prayer. It's nothing weird. You don't have to tell the whole story. We're just going to invite you to come up and someone will lay a hand on your shoulder and just invite the presence of God and let him minister to you. So why don't you begin coming forward and we're going to need some prayers as well. Thank you.
secrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling Oh, come to
Okay, if you're receiving prayer, just continue. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer, and then you can enjoy some dessert. So I hope you'll stay. So, Father, we just love you. We love your presence. You are such a gift to us. I thank you for how you're moving tonight. And I pray, Lord, that that everything you've imparted would be embraced and received. We thank you that you're such a good father and you're so faithful to always stand near us, stand by us, and support us. That your desire for us is to walk in truth and to walk in health. So we thank you. We exalt your name tonight. We praise you with everything we have. So just be with your daughters as we come into our time together to fellowship. And I just pray for sweet connections provided by you. We just thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.